Hey everyone, welcome to Beyond the Dance Floor podcast, a place to learn more about what goes on beyond what you see on the dance floor. It's about mentality, history, and how the skills you learn in breaking or the arts in general can apply more broadly to the rest of your life. Today we talk with a guy who's played a big part in Vancouver's breaking history, one of the members of my crew, Rory Rocchetto, aka Lecoq. Whether you like him or hate him, he doesn't care, and he's made his contributions to the scene. Rory was a huge factor in getting our crew out there beyond the confines of the Vancouver area and directly and indirectly led to my own travels around the US and other countries worldwide. We talked about the importance of traveling and how it gives you perspective and confidence, the Airbnb boy community of people who will take you in like a local purely based on the fact that you dance, his time with Famous Circle and becoming successful and more. Great talk with Lecoq, and I hope you enjoy it too. Peace. Okay, we're here with my fellow crew member, Rory Rocket from Filthy Feet, Born to Funk, Shadow Rock. Rory Rocket, aka Rory Rocketto, aka Rocketto, aka Lecoq, aka Tommy Middlefinger, <laughs> aka Fastbeard. Fastbeard. Our crew's got Chair Buddha. A chair Buddha, yeah. yeah. We don't have enough nicknames. Whoa, yeah. whoa, we got somebody joining us. Oh, come here. Come. There he is. Say hi, bud. <laughs> Looks like it's my body now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, why don't we start just, just in case someone's listening, watching, and they don't know who you are? Can you give them like a little background just... Like, yeah. uh, you are, uh, how you started, and like... All know. right, so, uh, so, how I started, who I am. All right, well, I guess uh, I'll go from the very start. Yeah. Um, so, about 1998, mm-hmm. I was making fake IDs, <laughs> and uh, fresh out of high school, nice. and started going to nightclubs downtown at the time. Um, this is we in, getting in a lot of, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Vancouver at the time we were getting lots of good shows um hip-hop was thriving and uh Vancouver generally gets access to lots of good artists but this at the time was especially so um you know like I was going to shows like uh J5 Dilated People Swollen Members Beat Junkies and Breakestra all at one show oh, at Richards on Richards is one that I remember in particular yeah. um there's all stuff like that going on Starfish Room Richards on Richards etc were kind of the first places that I went to see shows. Um, and, you know, I went in as, as a young in, like underage, and just was like sucked into kind of the culture. It was like really my first cultural uh, exposure to hip hop. Like I've been around people, like I listened to hip hop in the 90s as a skateboarder mm-hmm. and I, you know, like snowboarder and like was around people that like rap music, among other things. Um, never really been exposed to anybody b-boying really before never really been exposed to any, uh, any rap shows before. Um, Alcoholics I saw in like 96, but that was on Warp Tour. Um, so this was really like my first like going into the hip hop world kind of thing, you know? 
and uh, everyone was older than me. And like, it's just like right away, I just got sucked in. Like we were there when it opened, I think, you know, and there were, at the time there was lots of B-boys. Um, I believe it was contents under pressure getting down at the show. Um, the one in particular I'm talking about at Richards. And uh, yeah, man, like I just got, you know, I saw all this stuff going on and I just, rather than be just like a spectator, like I wanted to be like, um, I wanted to be like a part of it, you know? And then it was like going through the process of like, all right, what can I do? You know, like middle-class white kid from the suburb, like, all right, rapping, probably not, you know, like, <laughs> no art skills. So graffiti was pretty much out, you know, couldn't, couldn't write. Um, and so like the two left was DJing and b-boying. Uh, and uh, I did both. Like I bought turntables like within the year and like I was incessantly like hunting down people, anybody I knew or met or got associated with that could break. I was like asking them to show me, asking them to teach me. And uh, I started dating this girl and she had this friend and her friend was, was a guy that would break. This was Nick DeHaas. And so oh, she introduced yeah. me to him. We hung out a few times and I was just like, teach me to break, teach me to break, teach me to break. And finally he was like, okay, like, you know, come on down to our practice session at, uh, at um, the West End uh, Community Center, you know? And uh, I went down there. And at the time it was like him and uh, this other guy, Jonathan Hutchings. And uh, maybe, can't remember who else was there from the start. Um, this guy, Travis, kept coming around from Eastman. Yutaka, Sean Wada started coming around later. Uh, there were these two guys from uh, Squamish, these two brothers. Um, and that was kind of like the click at first. Mm -hmm. And like the first day, like before I went to practice, like they took me to this guy, Jonathan's apartment. And we watched this, uh, he had b-boy videos I'd never seen any before. And uh, he put on like, um, I think it was like Rhythm Bugs Vagabonds, like in France oh, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And it was like, I was just like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, yo, I'm going to do this 100%. Like, I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah, it started there. That's how I got started. And then uh, I was repping with them for a few years. But they kind of like, um, with that crew, it was like, uh, we had a crew called Ground to Air. And with that crew, it was more like, um, I don't know, like, they weren't so serious about it, like, how I wanted to be, you know? Like, they like they liked to practice and they liked to, like, do street hitting like we used to hit in the West End uh, at the beach. You know, they like to do that kind of stuff. But like, as far as like going to jams and competing, they weren't like massive about that. Uh, some of the guys didn't practice, like weren't serious about practicing that much, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, so that crew never really materialized in the way that I thought wanted it to, you know? But it was yeah. kind of like my start. And then when I moved to Victoria for university, I started going to practice with Filthy Feet. And like one thing led to another and like started entering jams with them. We started winning and, uh, and we got down with the crew. But I think I got down before we started winning anything. And then we started winning maybe something like that. I don't remember exactly. But that's how that started. That was about 2000 and, uh, 2003. Um, and then 2005, I graduated. I uh, moved back to Vancouver for a year. And, uh, and that year I went off to Japan and then in Japan I got down with Born to Funk and was rapping with them and uh, like Anija and, uh, and, and Abe-chan and their crew and uh, of course at that time uh, I started heading out to train with Bounce 
at the studio regularly. Every chance I got, like I get out of Tokyo to go visit him and go train and he was putting me on. And uh, then that's how I got down with Shadow Rock and that's it. That's the story. Damn. Crazy. Yep. Uh, yeah. Long yeah. story. You can cut me off if, I, if I'm going too long about oh, something or get off topic. I have a habit to do that. So The whole thing is people want to listen to you. They don't want to listen to me, Blab. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you mentioned like ground air and it's kind of funny. Every time I hear that name and when I, yeah, when I think about Sean too, and you, yeah. and like you told me a bit about these, that, this story, but one of my first jams that I went to was, uh, oh, the Richmond jam, Richmond jam where you got enough, you guys yeah. got into a scuffle with like, uh, body scuffle. it was like a fucking full on brawl. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I grew up, I got expelled from school for fighting. I got in lots of fights as a kid, you know, so. I didn't grow up like a, I wasn't like a gangster or anything like that. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, I always kind of like, I, I, I'm not, a, I was never a big guy either. I was never a big tough guy. But like at the same time, like I was never a bitch, you know, like I never let anybody like, like cross me like in a way that yeah. was like extremely disrespectful or something like that. You know what I mean? I stood up for my friends. I stood up for myself always. Yeah. I still do. Um, of course not in like, I don't recommend like in a violent way, but I was young and dumb and like, that's kind of like how things yeah. went. Um, the one there, of course, yeah. I mean, this was part of the reason that with ground hair that it didn't really work as well. Cause, uh, Nick had like a tendency to, to, uh, to, uh, take things too far. You know, he took things super personal and yeah. like, he was like quite aggressive and like, um, and he started some fights and he, him and BL on numerous occasions clashed. And, uh, and Sean, uh, had a history with them as well. I think he grew up with them and, yeah. and I got in a clash with them at one other time as well at, at Sonar. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was just different time, man. You know, like it was like that one at Richmond. Yeah. We got, I think we were banned from the next, like, I don't know how many more events they did, but we were banned for a while. Crazy. And like, yeah, it started like, you know, Nick was, I, don't, I can't remember exactly, but like we, we were, we battled and like, they roasted us mostly and like he didn't like that of course you know what i mean he couldn't just like accept that he lost really so he yeah. was kind of like in their face a bit like they were dissing him and he like i think he touched one of their face or something like that and then one of their boys came out of the audience and like clocked yeah, yeah. them and then like the whole thing just exploded we got rushed outside yeah, but yeah. then you know like we have boys that like you know they break but they're not really like b-boys that were there as well they were kind of you know on on a different tip as well who yeah. like didn't really want to let it go so much like they felt like we had to like go uh you know fight some more outside and so it continued outside a bit um yeah, yeah but it just, just got out of control i think uh i think some lady that worked there got hit with a bottle like someone threw a bottle out of you know not from not from my side because like yeah. you know but like but i heard that's what how i remember hearing something like that and yeah it's you know it's just different time and like yeah. different way the things got handled like uh, I wouldn't like I don't condone that or recommend that anymore you know nothing yeah, like that ignorant people <laughs> ignorant yeah, yeah. just uh, young and dumb and yeah like b-boying's aggressive already you know like yeah, it's yeah a lot yeah. of testosterone and all of this yeah, but yeah. like this is a different time like you know even then like I don't think people had cell phones the way they have now you know yeah like, not everybody had a camera out recording everything and stuff like that you know yeah, like, true, true. so it's just different yeah. Um, you got a, 
we'll get away from that because I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. But you got a lot of nicknames. Yep. You, I got it. I don't, I can't remember if you ever told me where it came from, but like, how did you, yeah, how did you get the name Rory Rocket? And yeah. And maybe some of these other ones. Oh, so like Rory Rocket came from, uh, came from, uh, in 2003. I started, I started breaking in 2000, two, 2001, I think is when I started. Like I, I started really? seeing it about, yeah, I think I started seeing it about 90, 98, 99. Uh, maybe it was when that J5 show was. You need to check with somebody, someone that knows better. I think it was 99 because I would have been 18 and 99. I was 18 until September 99. So I think it was 99 when I first saw this. And I think it took me, I moved to Whistler the next year. So I didn't, I wasn't in Vancouver. And then I was, I met one guy that could break there and I was chasing him to teach me, but he didn't. And when I got back to Vancouver was when I met this guy, Nick. And so that was definitely, uh, that was definitely 2001. And so I started in 2001. Um, 2003 uh, was the first time I went uh, traveling on my own outside of like Vancouver or Whistler or anything like that, you know? Like I went to, um, I got on a book travel to go to San Francisco because uh, I wanted to go down and find some B-boys and stuff like that. Like that was a whole mission. And like, I went down there and I did, I went down and I met these guys. Um, uh, they were, they were hitting at the pier, uh, I think pier 49. Um, I was at this hostel and someone, you know, I talked to people at the hostel. They're like, oh, what are you doing here? I'm a B-boy. I want to meet B-boys. Like I saw some people breaking down at the pier. So I went down there and up and down the pier and sure enough, yeah, they, they were hitting. And uh, there was this, this crew called the Oakland breakers. But at the time, uh, uh, Sean Supreme, Iron Monkey was hitting with them and Tony Styles was hitting with them as well and Tony's brother Tommy Guns was hitting with them as well so I was just checking out watching the shows and then um, and then in one of the breaks I went up and started talking to them like oh I'm, I'm a b-boy from Canada and blah 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 you know and I stuck but they were like yo uh, you know join in like hit with us and like you know got me involved and then one of the guys kept 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 saying like rock it rock it rock it rock it Yo, Rocket, Rocket. And then it just went from there. It just was like, that's where the name came from, like Rory Rocket, you know? Really? That's and then, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then uh, I was in, Roketo comes from Japan because Roketo is Rocket in Japanese, right? Mm -hmm. So that was it. That's where it came from. Crazy. How about uh, Lecoq? Oh, yo, that's our alter ego, man. That was from our Texas Smokum b-boy event days right like we just you know like i used to drink a lot more than i do now and uh and yeah it's just you know we just get loose and like and just you know talk shit and, and have fun and like joke around and like lecoq was like someone I, I think that came from like you know like the online world where like i was quite outspoken and people didn't really like it and in retrospect you know like it was kind of bad to be like outspoken online so much like i definitely would not be like that anymore and uh, somebody called me Rory Lecoq on uh, on like maybe B Boy World or something like yeah. one of the I remember it just came and out then of the too. <laughs> we just took it to another we just took it to another level like our crew did with jokes like that right it was like <laughs> start drinking and then I'm gonna take I'm gonna explain the fucking massively complicated rules of Texas smokeum in a French accent yeah. as Lecoq and like you know it just went it just went from there you know like yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. just like to have a good time man. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were talking about, yeah, just like going down to 
to the Bay Area and stuff kind of early, early on, right? Yep. Yep. Can you talk a little bit? Because I think it was you who, you or the crew in general that like kind of really got me into or thinking about like you know, the importance of traveling and getting outside of where you're. Yeah, where I mean, break or whatever. When I when I started doing it, um, at the time, uh, I'm trying to think. The first B-Boy Jam I went to out of Vancouver was in Victoria. We heard about Sictoria and we went over there and, you know, it was Sictoria. I don't remember if it was one or two, but we went over there. It was quite big at the time. Like there was a lot of B-Boys in Victoria. Yeah. Yow was there. Uh, dance Brooms were there. And that was the first one I went to outside of Vancouver. And mm-hmm. then uh, we heard about Ready or Not in Calgary. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we drove out to that. That was with like Battle Pirates, like Ash, Paul, uh, oh. Uh, Arthur, Ben, um, 1010, uh, maybe a couple more people that I can't remember. Uh, but, oh, Jesse, of course. Um, and we went out to that. Uh, and we ended up in the finals and that, I think. Nice. And like, or semi, semi-finals or finals. I can't you remember. You guys all ended I was, Yeah. And, like, of course, I was, like, the worst one there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Getting smoked every round and looking <laughs> ridiculous. And uh, But you know what I mean? Like, but, like, I was fortunate enough to practice with people that were encouraging, like all those people I just mentioned and the crew that I first taught me, they were a million times better than I was when I started, you know, like, and they were all, nobody ever put me down and none of that. Like, even though I was fucking horrible for a long time, um, you know, and, uh, and it's funny to say like, but, um, but some of those beefs, like getting beat up and getting in fights, was like, yo, I'm going to smoke these guys one day. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm going to get so good that I'm going to smoke their whole crew by myself kind of shit. Like, I never got to because they all quit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. but, like, I think I did get to the level where at one point, like, some of these guys that, like, that, like had issues with me, like, had no chance, like, even put their whole team together, like, you know? Um, but, uh, sorry, I got off topic. So I went to Ready or Not. It was terrible. But an amazing experience, again, like all the original Roods do. Shout out to original Roods. Um, I can't remember who we stayed with, but same as them. Like, they were all cool as hell to me. Like, even though I was whack and super friendly and instilled in me this, like, you know, I I had experienced this before through rugby, playing rugby. Because, like, you can go play rugby anywhere and you go to, you can go traveling and you can go into a rugby club in any country and be like, I'm a rugby player. And they take you in like they're one of your own, you know, like you're one of their own. Like, yeah, just friends right away. They're going to show you around. They're going to this, that, whatever. And uh, b-boying at the time for me was very much the same, man. Like we would go somewhere and people would take you in. Like I went to Calgary. I didn't know nobody there. Original Roots people took us in. We stayed at their place. They look after us, take us around, all that. You know what I mean? And and we went to – and so when I flew down to San Francisco, met these guys, Oakland Breakers, Tony Styles, it was the same thing, man. Like Tony took me under his wing. Like, I was, I was terrible compared to these guys, you know? Like, Tony was nasty back then. And uh, Iron Monkey, man, you know what I mean? And Prime and stuff, man. And these guys were so cool to me, man. Like, take me under their wing. Come kick it with us. Come chill at our condo. Come to this club with us. This, that. Like, all this stuff, you know? Nice. Always like that. Um, so, those first two trips especially got me that sense that, you know, like, that this is like a community and, like, you know, like, like battling is one thing. And, like, you know, like community and culture is another thing you know 
and do the same. Like I, anybody who's come to Vancouver over the years, like I've hosted, I don't know how many people stayed at my crib, you know what I mean? Yeah, from yeah. time to time for our own jams or other people's jams or whatever. Um, and vice versa. Like we've been to Seattle, how many places we stayed at in Seattle that people put yeah. us up or something like that. Right. Yeah, like, sure. um, but anyway, like after this ready or not jam and coming back to Vancouver, there was a period when I was starting where there was lots of jams in Vancouver. And I think it was because uh, the contents under pressure guys were putting a lot of these on like motion and stuff like this. Eric was putting on jams. People were putting on jams. It was like Monday night live had battles. And then there came this period where like battles just dried up in Vancouver. Like I feel like from about 2003 to 2005, it was very, very, very few battles in Vancouver until um, Battle City started again. And that's kind of when it started again. Like they started throwing cool battles in Richmond. But there was a period where it was like very, very few, you know, like maybe every three months there was a battle or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, with Filthy Feet, because they had the connections to dance rooms and PLU, we started going down to Seattle all the time. And that was when, um, that was when I started to grow the most, was like the fastest was because we were going down, we were competing in another level against mm -hmm. people that were way higher level than the level that we were competing at where we were from, right? The level was higher, the competition was higher, the battles had so many people there, circles, all this stuff. And, uh, and once I got a taste of it, it was just like, I just kept wanting to go back, you know? And I was one with the car, so it was a, I was the catalyst. Like, I would just tell everybody else, yo, there's this jam, we're going, come. Yo, there's this jam, we're going, come. Yo, there's this jam, we're going, come. And it was just, from then on, like, we were just traveling everywhere. And uh, I just tried to travel as much as I could and go to as many jams as I could. Whenever there was one that looked interesting, different places, yeah, build connections, and just go out, chat, yeah. call people out, go out, compete, go out, and just push your level against people that are way better than you, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it like keeps you, it keeps you humble. Like uh, you know where you stand too. Like if, if you just stay in Vancouver or whatever, and you become the best there, like you might think like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hot shit, whatever. And then you go somewhere also, else. Like, Holy shit! Like, this keeps you humble, but it also builds confidence. Like, yeah, yeah. When I went down to Seattle, there was one weekend we went down to Seattle, and you know we usually sometimes we make past prelims like top eight and get knocked out right away or something like that. And one time we went down and there was a jam in Portland, uh, two on two in Portland. And the next day there was like a seven to smoke in uh, Spokane maybe or somewhere between Washington and, uh, and Vancouver, well, between Seattle and Vancouver, you know? Yeah. Um, and we went and I entered the two on two with Blink and we broke out, man. We, I think we made it to this, the semifinals maybe, but that was like yeah. the furthest I'd made it in Seattle in, in, in in the u.s before you know and then yeah. the next day i went and entered the seven to smoke and i was like and i was like second in scoring after uh mike the cure or something like that i think like i did really well for myself then and mm. then i came back to vancouver and then was like all right i'm i'm dope and it's, <laughs> like, it's like you know like i'm yeah. not back anymore like yeah but it's like those little like, accomplishments right yeah but like like you're saying it keeps you humble when you get smoked but then also built my confidence like i came back and it was like not I wasn't like second guessing myself and questioning myself if I was good anymore. It was yeah. like, I had like, I wasn't nervous if someone called me out. Like it was like, yo, I'm going to smoke this guy. I'm going to burn this guy. And like mm -hmm. that lasted, you know, for the rest of my time that I was breaking. Like once, once it, once I, you know, had accomplished something, I came back and I just felt that way forever. You know, even though, you know, I wasn't never fooling myself that I was always better than everybody or something like that. 
but yeah. I wasn't like shook anymore. Like yeah. as far as I remember, you know, like there was no more being shook anymore from, from, from entering battles or anything like that. Yeah. Next thing I kind of want to talk about is like, yeah, maybe it's kind of like a growth, like a development path that a lot of people would probably go on. Like you start out and you want to just be the best and you want to break and, but eventually, well, some people, they want to start taking on like community roles and, and things like mm. that. And like you and Robin and eventually Nick's, I think. Yeah. Eventually, like you and Robin were organizing the stuff with like Famous Circle and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about like how that came about? Yeah. You guys were so trying to do with it and why you did it? It came about uh, again because there was somewhat of a drought of jams in Vancouver, you know, at the time, like, um, there were a few, like, Kill Beats, uh, Fight, like, Mike was doing some jams yeah. with Kill Beats and Fight Before Christmas, I think. Yeah. But, um, but other than him, at the time, I don't remember there being too much going on. Yeah, maybe like that could be wrong. Something. I could be wrong. Um, yeah, I think he started doing it after. Maybe, but, yeah. again, I could be wrong. The timeline there is a little bit fuzzy. But this is, like, I got back from Japan and again, like for me with everything in my life is like, I've, I've, I've never wanted to be like just a spectator, you know, or just like a customer. Like I've always wanted to be involved if it's something that I like. So mm -hmm. like I went to hip hop stuff and I wanted to be involved and I got into b-boying, you know, I'm in b-boying and I want to be involved. So I start doing events mm -hmm. and I'm like trying to build a community from doing events. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. Like there always just wants to be another level of involvement for me always no matter what i'm doing and with what i'm doing now it's the same thing and i got my fingers in so many things at the moment um and uh and yeah so robin was going to university for business school um and i can't remember if we did one jam um i can't remember if we did one jam first and then he got the idea that hey we should do this as my business school project or whatever but like he was running the business side like professionally because it was like it was like part of his like first school you know? Oh, okay. um, so, so he was doing all the accounting and all the bookkeeping and all this sort of stuff and all the planning. And I was just like running around being the face, promoting it, you know, being the one in Vancouver, doing all the legwork, like picking up the equipment, picking yeah. up all the people, right. like dropping off the flyers and running the jam and all this type of stuff, you know? Um, so that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> what else uh, did you want to know about it? Uh, yeah, well, how it started. Yeah, like some of, maybe some of the events that you did. I guess. So I guess part of it is like with doing jams, you need a venue. And yeah. like dance studios are like a likely venue because a lot of b-boys teach in them and they have sound systems built in normally and the floor is correct and they're dance friendly, right? So we got started with dance studios as well, for sure. Like the first one, there was a dance studio on Commercial Drive and we threw some small jam there. I can't remember what the name was. And we had some- Just to get a rap like that. Maybe, yeah. Some maybe. weird format for that yeah, one as well. Um, you know, I can't even remember how it went. It was, it was like some, weird. We were all trying to do something creative. It was like a four-way like final or something. Yeah, it was like four-way final, but we always just tried to do something creative. But there was yeah. that. And then there was the dance studio down in, uh, on the east side of um, where Dream. Uh, False Creek is. Yeah, Dream. So I was teaching there. Uh, and I, I, again, I was teaching at the dance studio on the drive. 
and I was teaching at Dream, and I saw Dream as a better venue because it was bigger, um, and they were more uh, just bigger, I guess. And I and I was more in with them, so we started doing events there, um, you know, and that's where Texas Smokem started. Uh, the first Texas Smokem was there. I, can't remember, you, I think we did a couple events there. Can you explain to people the, the rules of Texas Smokem? <laughs> Do you need Do a I beer? Remember them? <laughs> Man, I need yeah, I need a few. Can I get a glass of wine? Yes, you want. <laughs> okay, give me give me one minute. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, bonjour. This is the cock. <laughs> uh, so the Texas smoke am the most creative jam of all time, if I say one of the best jam ever highest level of competition and the greatest level of organization I have seen in my day. No, but seriously, um, <laughs> I don't really remember exactly how it went. I remember that we had, we went to, I think, I think we did it so that you end up with five crews. Yeah. So the two is a two on two and you yeah. end up with five crews at the end. And yeah. then what we did was each crew gets money immediately like if the prize was you know our jams are broke so i think the prize money was 500 dollars, and each crew got a hundred dollars to play yeah, something like that so then then the crew that goes first picks picks which crew they want to battle the second like crew everyone picks the card first and they decide the order right yeah yeah so we did with cards so you, you poker hand to decide who the order it's texas yeah. smoke them right so we played a poker hand to decide the order and then the crew that goes first chooses who they want to battle. Yeah. That crew chooses uh, how much money it was going to be for. And then it goes back to the first crew and they decide how many rounds it's going to be. And I think there was like a limit of like I think it was, three rounds to five rounds or something like that. It might have been money rounds, last. then money. Yeah, it, it might have been rounds, then money. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. like first crew picks who they want to battle. Second crew picks how many rounds. And I think it was three to five rounds. Maybe it was three to seven. And then the next crew picks how much money it is. And if you go all in, it means like if you beat them, they're out and you take their money and suddenly you have $200. Yeah. And if you lose, you're out and they have $200. But it didn't always have to be that way. You could bet $20, yeah. you know, because you have 100 sort of thing. And yeah. it went on until, and I think also once you have 100, you can, you can fold and you can leave with $100. Yeah. So it's like, so like some crews that would come, I think, I think Texas Smoker, Texas Smoker one, nobody folded, like everyone played through and then somebody won. Yeah. But I think Texas Smoker two, somebody, we got to the final five and somebody was like, I got a hundred dollars, we're out. We folded, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I liked about it. Cause I, I think you guys did three total. And I know, I remember two for sure. We did one at Dream and then we did one on your side of town on the west side of that old church with the weird yeah. floor. And then you didn't and then more at uh some place on main street i think it was like some small i remember hall. i remember the main street venue but are, are you sure that was a texas hold'em i think that was way of the b-boy with fever and it was like oh it was really poorly attended it was two on two or something like that it was raining that did, day i think he also did one one more texas smokem there or there might have been three. We only used we only used that Main Street venue once because it was such a disaster. It was like uh, one of those ones where we lost money on. Yeah, but the way I remember it is like there, there <sighs> were <goodness>. three. 
But the first one, what was it? Like? You need to check with Robin or Nick's. Yeah. But like, but the first like, one was but... a dream. First one was a dream for sure. Yeah. And that one we had, um, I think Dial Tone and Chase came up and they won. Yeah. I think, I think so. it came down to Dial Tone and Chase and, and Savage and uh, Savage and somebody, maybe Savage and Jax, I can't remember, or Savage and Kenny. Yeah. Or, yeah. You have to get one of them on and find out from them, man. I don't but, remember. But, but so that was cool because, like, um, everyone decided to just. Oh, did I lose you? Nope. Oh, you're back. Yeah, I'm that back. one was cool because like everyone decided to just start. Like once they figured out what was going on and they could be kind of strategic, they started yeah. just like, picking on the NON guys, like Jared. Uh, yeah, Jared right. Yeah, yeah. Because they were tired, so then everyone yeah, they picked just them to try to take their money away. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. They're like, yeah, they're like yeah. okay, we're gonna. They just battled. We're gonna go against them. And yeah, I mean, it was cool because for me, there'd never been a battle, as far as I know, organized that way. Yeah. So, I wanted so so to see it unfold and how it played out. Like we never played yeah. it out before, so I didn't yeah. know how it was gonna play out. I just knew that it would be interesting if people understood the rules, right? If they yeah. got the concept, it'd be an interesting way to do it. And it was, it was fun, it was fun. And everyone had a good time. It was interesting. Yeah. And like every, every time it was different. You had that one where everyone yeah. picked on NON. You had the one where, uh, I Someone think folded right away. And, and <laughs> reflex. They were like, all right, we battled enough. Yeah. Yeah. They won their hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. Like we'll just settle for some money. I think you're right. I think there was three, but I can't remember. And then, the third and then I swear there was one more where it went every single round people, they chose who they wanted to battle. They chose the rounds and then everyone was like all in. And it just Could kind be. of like, yeah, it was just like the vibe got set with that first all in. And then everyone was like, oh, now I have Right, to it was hype after this. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was so I feel short. Like you're right. Because I feel like Nick's did the artwork for Texas Smoke and 3, that character with the cards and stuff. Yeah. And I don't remember the artwork for Texas Smoke and 2 or Texas Smoke and 1. I know Falcons did the first one. I don't know who did the second one. But anyway, yeah. yeah Could have been just like, two. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, that was always a cool jam that I, I always thought like it should come back or someone should like innovate on that, like take the idea and be like, okay, well, how maybe someone will see this and hit us up. <laughs> maybe yeah, someone maybe. wants to liaise. If you want to liaise Texas Smoker, we can agree on a fair price. <laughs> yeah. Bro, you're always a business. Silverback, man. if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's like Red Bull, Monster Energy. I'm here for you. If you need creative <laughs> ideas. The inventor of Texas Smokem is available. How did how did that actually like come about? The idea for that. Do you do you uh, remember at all? Again, we were just always trying to come up with creative ideas, man. Yeah. Um, I'd played Texas Hold'em with Skeet, like when there was a hockey strike. I was in Victoria, and like bars were holding Texas Hold'em tournaments, so we were playing Texas Hold'em all the time. Um, and. Uh, and if no one knows, Skeet is our nickname for Dylan from Filthy Feet. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I think, I think the idea came from there somewhat in my mind. Like, okay, it's like two things I always wanted with the jam was like a good name, you know, like a creative name, like something that's like B-boy, but also like, you know, like a play on words sometimes, like just yeah. to get a rep was a great name. Um, yeah. No half stepping was one that we never used that I wanted to use. Um, Texas Smoke'em, right? Like yeah. Texas Hold'em is the name of the game, but we play Texas Smoke'em. Yeah. Like, you know, so 
yeah, we were just, you know, I just, I always liked like creative stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's something that would just arise out of what our crew does in general. Yeah. I mean, of, of course. Like, and just I might have come up with the name with Dylan or Nathan or someone else, not even Robin. You know, I can't remember. Yeah. But you might want to ask Robin about it. I'm not yeah. 100% sure. But yeah, but yeah, it's name, something like name. you heard the name and you're like, oh yeah, that sounds dope. Oh, what would what would a jam be like if it was had this name? Mm. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. The best was the Texas Smokem explanation video for number two, where I was full of cock and it was all French. And was, was that like at my house? Were... Mm, no. I can... But you know what? I think you're right that there was three because we recorded one from your house. Yeah. And then I recorded one from my parents' house. And that's the one I'm thinking of. Where well, I gave the this first explanation. One. No, the explanation was this, for sure the second one. And, oh. uh, and yeah, it was so complicated. <laughs> like the explanation, you know, I'm doing it in a French accent and I'm drunk and like piecing it together. And like we had music on and like, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> I think I was using some French words and some English words and like, yeah. and I don't speak French by the way, you know, which is part of it. And, um, and yeah, at the end, it was like, I remember like we flashed this thing confused, come to Texas, smoke them on this date or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like that. Like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, it was a funny one. Yeah. That was good times. Yeah, but that's like, when I think back, uh, the most, some of the most fun times in like Vancouver scene, that's like one of the most memorable because it's, it was just unlike any other jams that I've ever been to and yeah, seen. and it was just fun to watch too. I felt like Circle Prince was the was Circle Prince was like the uh, epitome yeah. of of Famous Circle. Our company was called Famous Circle. Yeah. Uh, like Cypher Addicts was great. Uh, sorry. Cypher Famous. Cypher Famous was great as well. That was the first big jam we did. Um, you know, and we held. We tried to. The concept was that we wanted to hold prelims across the country and fly out the winners. But like we weren't financially in a position to fly out the winners. So it was an agreement with the promoters that they would fly the winners out, right? Yeah. Um, and most of them delivered, um, except uh, except Montreal did a prelim, and nobody supported the jam, and it did terrible, and uh, and they didn't make enough money to fly the winners out, right. and the guy refused, and the winners were like holding us responsible for it. You know what I mean? Which was kind of fair, like in in retrospect like i can understand that at the time i understood their sentiment too you know that yeah. like they'd been promised xyz they won the jam and they weren't getting xyz but rather than i don't know how hard they took it up with the promoter but i feel like he passed the buck and blamed us and so they were taking it out on us right and we tried to sort it out robin's dad was a pilot like he flew out we were trying to fly like if he flew there he could get them on a discounted flight back. We were trying to do all sorts of things. Isn't and that it just what you didn't did work with out. Toronto guys? That's right. That's how Switch B and, uh, and Troubles came out because Robin's dad met them at the airport and flew back with them and they got discounted tickets. So they came out to rep. Shout out to the fam, yeah. uh, my boy Switch B and, and Tricky Troubles. Yeah. 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 And yeah, that gem was dope too. I mean, we had bounce. Yeah, it was good. Um, we had, you know, we had crews from. We had Ref we had Almighty, uh, which was Reflex and Ilya, and we had we had the Fam, uh, which was uh, Tricky Troubles and Switch B, and we had um, we had Dangerous Goods, 
and we had dial tone and, and chuck yeah, and, and, and chase uh and we had people i don't remember where else we had people from uh i think you had like a hard to remember uh oregon like eugene oregon it was like yeah Mark, yeah that's right we we put on one in oregon and brought us two people up from there and we had a prelim in seattle that we that, that j rock uh joe rock hosted that we got two people up from um long time ago again tough to remember the, the idea was that we wanted to have one in you know toronto ottawa but it just didn't pan out like we did yeah. one in ottawa there was a winner but then we couldn't get them out for the financial uh the financial burden and all that you know yeah. and again like it was a good idea but it just didn't pan out right but yeah. then um but then what happened again like it's kind of like that one we were on the hook to fly everybody out but when we did circle circle prints everybody flew themselves out and we literally had someone from every province except for no even that's saskatchewan because we had truth and uh and, and spook right yeah. so we had we had every province from vancouver to to quebec every province was represented you know and even people in the states like like battleborn flew out you know like like circle prints man yeah that was the like for me that was the crown jewel of, of famous circle like we did yeah. outbreak after that which was also good but at that point it was um the problem with outbreak was the prelims man i think we had 120 crews enter or something something absolutely mental and yeah. i was emceeing it and by the end of the prelims I was exhausted, man. I was like, yo, I want this to end. I want to have a beer. Enough of calling out crew's names. Like yeah. 80% of these crews suck. <laughs> if you suck, don't enter big jams. Please, for the sake of the jam, just go and watch and, and enter the circles. Yeah. But I mean, you know, like there is something to say about like a completely open format. And anyone could possibly go in, but I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. I mean, the other thing with circle prints is we ran it the official circle prints way where the crews were picked from the ciphers, you know, yeah. and, uh, and the judges were unknown, you know, like if you were smart, you could figure out who some of these judges were, right. You know, like creates there from Indonesia, who's his partner, right. Orb is there from circle of fire. Like who's his partner? Like, you know, but, but to a certain extent, it was good. It was hidden. People didn't really didn't know, you know, and, and they picked the crews out of the circles. There was no involvement from the promoters, um, except helping them organize afterwards. Like they had the numbers, everyone had a number and they were trying to put the names to the numbers and we had a number list and that was it. Yeah. And yeah, the, yeah. the 16 crews with the most votes made it in and that was it and went from there. Um, but yeah, best prelims ever for an organizer and best prelims ever for a vibe, man. Just like three hours of cycles. Yeah. And I, yeah, it was just, it was just, again, like I said, like that for me is, I don't, we did lots of jams after that, but that for me was the crown jewel. That's the one that I remember the most, like yeah. more than our 10 year, more than our 15 year anniversary. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that was the last jam we did. Uh, but, but the circle prints was the one for me that this, like, I wanted to accomplish something like that and we did it, you know? And like, that was it. Like I was ready to check out after that. Like it's, yeah. it's I'll tell you like throwing jams is a lot of work as you know, and no money. <laughs> and no no like people say thank you and all that and make you feel good about it afterwards and stuff but like no. the amount of time you the amount of time you put into that for, for the financial return it's it's it is no investor or businessman would recommend that anybody <laughs> do that yeah. with the with the kind of business plans that we had in place and the kind of opportunities like when silverback got involved and red bull gets involved 
Monster gets involved is, is different. Um, you know what I mean? Because they have money. But like from grassroots perspective, man, throwing jams is is purely purely out of love for the culture, and and, yeah. uh, and that's it. Like it is it is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of like what brought about me and Mark wanting to do like floor horsemen in the way that we did. Mm. With like, okay, don't even make it a competition. Just go straight. Yeah. To like, okay, what are the hype hype battles or just ones that we want to see or whatever, and just have a few of them. And then just make it a party the rest of the time, like, yeah, yeah, but you know, that has its own, its own drawbacks or whatever. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, maybe related to like all this famous circle talk, uh, can you? How would you define successful? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so successful. That came from Royal City Rumble in Victoria. Oh, yeah. Which again was a which again was a good idea. Like we wanted to bring crews from Vancouver and build the scene in Victoria, right? And do it by exposing them to B-boys. Because there were young B-boys in Victoria. At one time, Victoria was a thriving scene. At this point, there was no scene. Like it was a few members of Filthy Feet left over and a bunch of kids that didn't have any guidance, nowhere to practice really, this sort of thing. Yeah. Um so the, the vision was that we would bring crews um, from the U.S. and Vancouver over to Victoria uh, and, and, and we would cover the travel costs and hotel, I think, um, and they would compete and there'd be a prize money, you know, um, and we did that. Uh, I don't think we managed to get anybody from the U.S. I think it was strictly Vancouver um, and uh, we did it. We brought everybody over and the jam went well. Uh, to a certain extent, like I think it did okay. I don't think it was like a financial loss by any means. We covered all the costs, all that. We made a little bit of money. We sold some merchandise and made a little bit of money on that. But like the whole joke of it was that like, you know, like we don't know what we're doing, man. Like we're not, you know, like we're, we're putting money into a project that like that we're probably going to lose like all of it. And like if we don't lose it, we make a, we make a little bit. It's like successful, you know, but we <laughs> suck at being successful. Like we're not good at it. Like we're, we're got all this money at the end in the hotel room. We're like, wait, was that for the hats? Or was that for the door? Like, ur, ur, ur. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, I counted this. And then someone else counted it's wrong. Or it's like a different file. We're just like, there's no organization like on that still side, a you know, like you still how a many hats were there? Nick's one's in there moving things around the room and putting scraping pineapple off a of pizza you know <laughs> like dude like we're trying to like like trying to like work all this out like we knew that the jam had made money but like we didn't know where the allocation of the money had come from or something like that you know and it had gone good everyone had a good time everyone was having fun but me and robin were like stressed out trying to uh, like put this together you know what i mean so that's where the term successful came out like this is, is successful but we suck yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So you're in. This is not related to being successful, but we're just gonna switch gears. But yeah, you live in Thailand now. That's right. Yeah. Um, what's yeah? How how are things there? I mean, you told me a little bit over the years, but for, it's all good. I was in, I was into breaking for the first couple of years I was here. But uh, scenes a lot different here. Jams in Thailand, I don't really, I don't really feel the vibe. Um, 
you know, and uh, I just got fell into other things like work hard. I, I got a lot of work on my plate, DJing heavily um, outside of work and, uh, and just other things took time. I mean, one thing I can say is like, I did not take care of my body. Like when we were, when we were beasting, you know what I mean? Like there was a jam. I don't, you remember that jam where you, me and dial tone entered and we ended up winning. Yeah. Like on commercial drive. Yeah. So at my house before we went to that jam, I was warming up and I did a 90 and I pinched a nerve in my back and I competed that jam with a broken back, basically like not broken, but like, like severe, severe yeah. pain. Yeah. yeah. And like, and I did that on numerous occasions when we went to um, uh, Calgary with the crew of all the best B-boys in Vancouver. Oh, yeah, I broke yeah. my toe in the cypher. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I competed all day long with a broken foot. Yeah. And like I did this numerous times. And again, like the only reason I'm telling people this is as a word of caution because it was not the right thing to do. I have, I have consistent back problems to this day. I have consistent neck problems. I have a damaged knee, you know. Um, probably all of them require surgery if I want them to be repaired. And like it's part of the reason that I stopped breaking like the advantage of living here is the heat and the humidity. It, I don't feel pain around the clock. It's always hot. It's always loose, you know. But if I come back to Vancouver in winter, my back seizes up right away. I'm in back pain nonstop through the winter in Vancouver. So, yeah, word of wisdom to anybody watching this, any of the youth, take care of your body, man. Like, listen to it. You can have a long career of b-boying if you maintain your body well. And I did not. And that's one of the reasons why I had to stop. Yeah. But yeah, I've been itching to get down a bit through this virus. I'm not fine. <laughs> um, think like, what are you, what are you doing out there these days? You're just mostly DJing now? No, uh, DJing is mostly like a hobby. It's like a subsidiary income. So the job I work as a agent for international yeah. artists, a super modified agency. Okay, so DJs okay. and producers, uh, for festivals and nightclubs all across Asia, I sell them to venues. Right. So my passion these days is like like house and techno music. And personally, my passion is like house music. But in that genre, um, I sell artists to clubs and festivals all over the region. And I sell EDM acts, commercial acts, any kind of acts, urban acts, anything that is viable that will sell, that I know someone that will want. Um, that's, that's my job. Uh, which I haven't been able to do for months because of coronavirus. Um, but I've been doing that for five, five years in Asia already uh, between two different agencies. Currently, I work for Supermodified, which is the biggest Asia-based agency that there is. Um, I have a company, Late Night Bangkok, which is an events company. So the artists that I sell to different venues, my company buys them for Bangkok, and we produce events in Bangkok uh, parties, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where we put these artists on, um, to perform at our events. Um, and we, again, we were on the route building up. We had a good projected year. I had things on the calendar, three artists that I had to cancel between April and May. And we haven't rescheduled anything at this point because venues are tentatively not open still. Um, yeah. and international travel is banned, but I do that. Um, I work for an online publication, writing, uh, some music reviews, and doing some sales for them as well. Um, and, uh, and I DJ on the side, yeah. 
and uh, I'm involved in discussions with different venues um, to perhaps be in-house programmer for the venue as well. And I've done in-house programming for a venue in the past. Nice. And you really, so that would you be really like got your programming. fingers into everything. Yeah, but I mean, if we're going to be honest and going back to what I said about how I jumped into hip hop because I wanted to be involved, like my attraction to hip hop was the music and yeah. my attraction to life has been music since I was 14. Like at 14 years old, I wanted to get a guitar and I got one and I started playing guitar. And I wanted to play, I was in a grunge at the time. So I wanted to play all the grunge music, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, whatever. And I started jamming with guys that went to my school. And those guys were in punk bands that played punk rock shows in Vancouver at different community halls. And I started going to punk rock shows. And I wanted to be in a band that was playing at the punk rock shows. And I wasn't. And then I got an opportunity and I was. And then I did that for six years before I got into b-boying. You know what I mean? So like my passion for music started when I was 14 years old. I was getting paid for music when I was 15. Before I could drive, I was getting money in my hand for playing music sometimes, you know? Um, and that's like, like you can look at b-boying as being an extension of that because it's directly related to music in a way, right? Hip hop music um, and breaks and funk. Um, and I've had that connection my whole life and I just didn't realize that that's, that that's an industry that I could work in professionally and, right. and find, cut out a career for myself and do, do what I want to do. And that's what I've been doing for the last seven years. And I would never do anything else. I can tell you, I would do lots of jobs in the industry, you know what I mean? Which is why I have my fingers on so many things because yeah, yeah. things change, opportunities change. You never know what can happen. Um, but I want to be involved in the music industry until I stop working and that's it. And I'll probably stay involved after I stop working. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good outlook on things. Yeah, it took me 32 years <laughs> to uh to figure that out. No. So don't don't fret, guys. <laughs> You're young and you don't know what you want to do. Think outside the box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good advice. Think outside the box. Um You touched a little bit on on this, uh, but yeah, like when you were in Japan, you you connected with Bounce. That's right. Yeah, how did that how did that even come about? So I'm at Bounce in Vancouver. I, he used to live in Whistler, and he'd come down to Vancouver for certain jams and stuff. I think mm -hmm. the first time I saw him was at the first jam I went to, which was at uh, UBC and organized by contents under pressure. And he was just in the cypher getting busy. I think he was in all black and hitting hollow backs and, and power moves and all this. And then I saw him years later um, at Sonar, which is the club we used to go break at. It's closed now, I'm quite sure, uh, in Gastown um, at some show and reconnected him with him there. He was ripping. And at that point, I was improved a lot, you know. And so we chatted a bit. And then when I went to New, I went to New York for Rocksteady Crew Anniversary in 2005. And um, he was there. And that's when he just got down with Zulu. He left Rocksteady and he just got down with Zulu Kings with Ness. And he was at Rocksteady Anniversary. Uh, and I didn't know it was the same bounce. I didn't know it was the same guy. Because he'd okay. grown a big goatee and beard at this point, right? And yeah. he was in full out red Zulu Kings attire. The giant, you know, there's a giant Zulu King shirt that Casper got famous for wearing? Oh, okay. 
I don't even know if that might be the shirt. Bounce might have given him that shirt. I'm not 100% sure, but Bounce was wearing the exact same shirt. Right. 2005 Rocksteady anniversary. Um, and he was smoking, man. Like, like nobody could touch this guy. Like all day, he was in the circle, call out after call out after call out, just roasting anybody that had the nuts to get in there with him, man. Like he, I saw this guy throw down like 50 times and I didn't see no repeats or nothing. You know what I mean? Like it, it was mind blowing to me. Like I didn't know it was the same bounce. Like, and mm-hmm. then I saw him at the after part, he'd, he'd, he'd gone to the concrete jam and he'd lost in the finals to Ada the day before. I didn't go to the concrete jam because I was with a bunch of uh, DJs and rap people from Vancouver, like Seco and, and Skilly. And we were going to all the Rocksteady cultural stuff, like not just the B-Boy stuff, right? So mm-hmm. we were doing some New York sightseeing and, you know, going to parties and stuff like that. And I was going to the, rock, the main Rocksteady jam. So he got the final, the concrete jam against Ada uh, and lost. And then, um, and then he was smoking everybody at the main jam, which was the Crazy Commandos the next day. Um, and then there was the after party. Uh, there was a couple after parties, but there was this one after party where I came outside and he was there. And I started talking to him and he was like, Oh, yo, like it's me bounce. And I was like, word. Yeah. You're so crazy. You're so good. And he's like, it's me bounce. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yo man, he was next level. And like, he's like, I'm like, I'm thinking about moving to Japan. And he's like, I live in Japan, man. Like get me up. Like let's, let's connect. You know? uh, crazy. And uh, yeah. And uh, you know, I was just overwhelmed with the whole thing. Like, like this jam was like, I mean, you talk about things being inspirational. This was, yeah Dude, they had like like the crazy commandos there's no i i wish there was footage of it online because it was insane man it was before routines were played out mm. and it was like a two-on-two battle with unlimited commandos and they encourage you to do commandos. yeah yeah i heard about rounds. it and it was just mental man tim the pit um and uh and gully from massive monkeys and this was back when gully was like this this was back when tim and gully were like low-ranking members in massive yeah, monkeys yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like and they were killing it, man. Yeah, I heard about and that. And Focus and Hot Solo were killing it. And like um, these two guys from Florida, G Mike and someone else, killing it. Like, uh, oh man, uh, I'm trying to think of everybody that was in this. It's so hard to remember. Um, who's that guy that was down with Havi Coro? I love this B boy. Um, he was from New York, but he was down with Havi Coro, and he was from he was down with Street Masters as well. Oh. Um, Elmo, Elmo, yeah, Elmo yeah. was in the competition with um, with one of these B girls from that time, maybe Abby girl or someone else. And again, just killing it, like it was just mind blowing. And then they had they had this battle, which was Rocksteady Crew versus X Fiends. I don't know if you remember X Fiends, but yeah, they were yeah. these young kids from New York. Yeah. And there was like beef between these crews, the young and the new, the old school and the new school, right? And they're like being young were disrespectful to Rocksteady. So they gave them this time to shine where they mm-hmm. would take on the new crew of Rocksteady. And at this time, Rocksteady was, man, Luigi, before anybody knew who he was, Flea Rock. I mean, when I say before anybody knew who he was, I mean before West Coast people knew who he was, before he came to Vancouver. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Before people in Vancouver knew who Luigi was, before he blown up on video mm-hmm. and all of this. It was like Luigi, Technique, Flea Rock, uh, War, uh, Hep's Fury, um, dude, it was like the team from Freestyle Session on the boat on steroids, man. Um, <laughs> like they just destroyed these guys, man. It was like round after round of like the maddest stuff, like the style that I'm so 
big fan of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, man, Smirk, Smirk the Jerk, like it was next level for me, mind blowing, you know? And then I'm in an after party and like it's small and it's like me and abstract throwing down in a circle back and forth again. It's like, oh, man. like you know what I mean? Like this jam was just the craziest for me. Yeah. 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 Go travel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. There's always something, something. Lost else. track. Oh, you asked me about bounce. So reconnected there, reconnected there and then reconnected on, I found him on B-Boy World and I hit him up and I was like, I'm in Japan. And then, he invited, uh, and then uh, the guys born to funk that I was breaking with, um, they were going up to this jam in the city that he lived in, and uh, which I think was Yamanashi. And I uh, can't remember what I was talking about. I think that's it. And um, I went up with them, and then we stayed uh, a bounced place, and the bounce was a jam. And that's when I really reconnected with them and we traded numbers and started going up there nonstop after that, yeah, yeah, every yeah. chance I got. For like a year, yeah. Yeah, uh, that guy's a nutball <laughs> in the best way. The kind of mind you need to be the one of the greatest b boys of all time, man. Yeah, like yeah. beyond thinking outside of the box. You know what I mean? Like thinking of the box in dimensions that other people cannot conceive. Yeah, is but it, the way I would describe it. Like you know, like it's kind of funny that because I've been taking some like lessons from him recently. Yeah. And actually, the way that he thinks about stuff is like probably a lot of people think that way, but it's the way it's the way that he manages to piece stuff together, and he's drilled things so much to the point that like he doesn't. It there's no thinking at all about like how do I do this thing and like everything. Yeah. Like there's, so I mean, there's a few things you have to understand about bounce. At one point he had the mentality that at any given time, someone else in the world was training. Yeah, so he yeah. needed to train as often as he, like nonstop all day long, like not just b-boying, but running, weights, training, like yeah. practicing his steps. Like there was always someone training. Like he created this video called While You Were Sleeping, you know? And that was the concept of it. That like, I think Ness ended up taking it and using it, but bounce, it was bounces original thing where it was like some video and he's like in bed and the alarm clock goes off he pulls off the sheet he's fully dressed to b-boy and starts b-boying <laughs> his room and, you know it was just wild but yeah like he was he's the next level man the way he trains like you go to his house and it'd be like you practice for like god who knows like i don't know how many hours we train in his basement and i'd be like okay we're gonna go for a run it's like what the fuck and you like I'm run tired. for like I'm however many kilometers you know down a concrete river and it's like, all right, now we're going to break on the dirty gravel cement, it's not smooth, <laughs> clean surface, like rip your skin off your hands, cement, you know? And then you go back and maybe you're allowed to go to sleep, you know? And you wake up the next day and like, you know, it's like, okay, today's the day off. My hands are raw, this, that. And then the afternoon comes, it's like, all right, yo, let's train again and start training the thing. And you're like, oh man, I'm so sore. And that's like, all right. So there's a practice that we're going to go to for three hours. And you go to the practice and it's just like, yo, I just never stop, man. Like, uh, yeah, but I mean, you don't get that good by not, you know what I mean? Like, the time and yeah, at the, at the end of the day, the concept that he teaches is not complicated. Yeah, It's yeah. a very, very simple idea that you can apply and you can use, and it is simple. But yeah. to, to 
the number of levels and patterns that he puts on it and the ways he flips it, where mm -hmm. it's not just back and forth. It's mm -hmm. back and forth and up and down. And like, you know what I mean? Like at one point he was talking about clocks and angles where mm -hmm. like, if you imagine a clock and off of every angle of the clock, there's another clock. And like, once you start to calculate like what he's talking about, it's never ending man. And yeah. like, that's the way he thinks and that's the way he breaks. And that's why he is, better than anybody else at what he does and i think so to this day man i don't think anybody can touch bounce when it comes to footwork if he really wanted to put it down on somebody like i don't yeah. think and not just footwork breaking in general man like yeah, yeah, yeah. he got, adds the, the blow-ups and the moves and the power and all that man like he is when i've seen him at his best like i've never seen anybody as good man and the only people i would put near him that i've seen in person breaking at that level are focus ada and flea rock and that's for me that's it like as far as style and and as far as having that style and mm -hmm. the level and mm -hmm. all the combinations and power and everything like that nobody for me is close to bounce when he's at his prime except and those three guys are the closest that i've seen in person and they're not as good at him as, as they weren't as good as him in my opinion when i've seen them at their best yeah yeah uh i'll probably have to cut all that out because like you can't have any info about bounce out there anywhere <laughs> well that's for your ears son. <laughs> shadow rock <laughs> no i think it's okay there's no video it adds to the legend that is bounce <laughs> yeah true i can walk you through the steps but again like yeah when he taught me that stuff man it just changed my mind about everything when it came to breaking man and like when you watch him, like, like how good he has at, how good he is at it. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't, you can't watch him throw down unless you've seen him. You can see him a hundred times and you won't be able to tell where one pattern starts and one pattern stops. Mm -hmm. He does it differently every time. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like the combinations are different every time. And like the way he pieces it together is different every time. And like, it's just the depth, the number of, you know, I mean, imagine this guy made a list of all the patterns he has, man. Like it would take a novel to, <laughs> to list these things, man. Like, you know, you cannot, and some of them are short and some of them are probably so long. Like, mm. it's, it's like, you can't tell where one thing starts and stops with this guy, man. Like, yeah. and that's the whole concept of, that's the whole mind play of the yeah. style, you know? What he, yeah. what he was telling people like you know you, you got spy and he's a man of a thousand moves i wanted to be the man of a million moves and like man and let me let me tell it to you on another level like profo one who i absolutely love who's absolutely nasty who's absolute student of bounce and has like mastered the style to an extent you can watch him and you can tell sometimes where one pattern you you can separate the patterns you know what i mean mm -hmm. like there's a there's a there's a cadence to the way that his patterns go so that you can see the break between them even though he's adopting the style mm -hmm. you know what i mean bounce doesn't have that man like yeah. it's and that's what is so wild about it man like there's no predictability like he will do a pattern in the same pattern in different candidates at times you know and like like and you know like one two three one two three one two three and like and that's why it's it just like 
with everything, man. Like it's, it's another level, man. There's a lot of people that have adopted this style. He's taught it to a lot of people. Now you see it yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody, I've never seen anybody do it anywhere close to as good as him. Yeah. <laughs> like, and probably never will to be yeah. honest. Like, yeah. well, like his mind is, his mind is unique at the way that he approaches it, you know? Yeah. And like, even, even before I started kind of like learning a little bit from him, I realized like a lot of the stuff that I do is like secondhand influenced by him. Cause like I learned some stuff from you or I learned some stuff from like Profo, Profo or, or other from just people other people like, learn it from him man. his influence is yeah, global. Right, right. And you never in a sense yeah. global in a sense his influence is probably interplanetary man you probably got <laughs> aliens out there yeah but there's even some stuff right? that i learned or that i was inspired to create that was based off of like just a concept that someone else like kind of did but they're not like a direct they're not a direct student from bounce but they're like influenced by bounce kind of sort of whatever and so it's like it's like uh what do you call it like six degrees of separation kind of like everything right. kind of like we will lead back to balance somehow that's right, right. especially these days yeah um all right enough about that maybe that's a good spot to just finish <laughs> my phone's almost dead so yeah if there's perfect. any other things there's any other things you want to ask me? If there's anything there that you want to ask to follow up on anything that wasn't touched on no, that, I have, that I can bang out quickly. Of, that's that it. Kind of all the stuff that I wanted to get. At. I mean, there's always more, but you know, we can always do this again sometime. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure, man. Other random stuff like Roxy or something like that. We won't get into. Oh, that. Roxy, man. Yo. Yeah. We can once we get into these things, we can just start talking about all these stories, like uh, like Ready or Not and Captain Ice. Oh man. And, and the, I got stories, man. I got stories. You know, kinds of stories, right? <laughs> yeah. Save it yeah, for man. another time. Um, cool. Yeah, we'll cut it there. Thanks, Rory, for for doing this. It was it was cool. Thanks for having me on, yeah. man. It was wicked. Yeah. Good to catch up and uh, reminisce about old days and old times. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, uh, Silverback Monster and Red Bull. Yeah. If you're listening, you know, if you want, if you want to invest in Texas, smoke them. <laughs> <laughs> open to discuss yeah. negotiations that's right that's right i don't know when i'll get to this so maybe this will be like a year later or something. <laughs> we'll somehow gone under from the, the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> who knows man <laughs> who knows yeah stranger uh, things have happened man it's true once you accept that the impossible is possible it's true anything can happen man it's very true very true all right oh shit well, <laughs> knock my, knock my thanks for having me man yeah it was cool uh, yep hope people enjoyed it and check out some of Rory's like mixes I, I'm, I'll get it from you later if you have like mixes somewhere oh sure yeah or, we've got a page uh, SoundCloud yeah. page I can just send you everything's up yeah, there I'll, I'll put that in the description and stuff like that sounds good man yep alright peace everybody okay, see you guys peace Thanks everyone for listening. If you like what you heard, please consider supporting on my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash RazzyF2. That's R-A-Z-Z-Y-F-2. 
This also goes towards supporting my YouTube channel where I make tutorials and discussion videos. And you can find that at www.youtube.com slash razzyf2, R-A-Z-Z-Y-F-2. Supporting on Patreon puts your name in the credits of the videos as a supporter, gives you access to a private Discord server where you can connect with fellow members, and gives you access to the full video versions of each podcast. I also offer private coaching there, so if that's something you're interested in, it's available. Once again, thank you for listening and look forward to the next one. Peace.